1: Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, where I try to educate you a little bit about football and a tiny bit about life. This week, I've got Los Angeles Rams quarterback and MVP candidate Jared Goff. I've got one of the most intriguing stories of this NFL season, and if you haven't heard it, you've got to listen to it. Denver Broncos tight end Jake Butt, and we'll also be joined by Booger McFarland who's in that funny contraption on ESPN Monday Night Games, hovering above the field, commenting about games like the third guy in the booth. But he's not on the field. He's not in the booth. He's in some funny contraption 10 feet above the field. And you'll hear from Booger as well. But first, over the years, I have sort of developed this way of doing my job on Sundays. I don't go to as many football games as I used to. Most Sundays now, for the last few years, I've sat at home, I've put on the NFL games uh, both on my computer and on my home TV in my office. Either that or I watch the Red Zone channel with Scott Hansen. And so over the years, what I've done is I've tried to develop this thing where after games, I'll talk to four, five, six people coaches, players, executives, after important games or important events of the day. Then I'll write my column on Monday, and I will sort of develop what I think is the best story of the day for the top of my column. So I thought one of the things that I would do this week is just sort of explain that to you, explain how I do it, and then also give you a little clip of something that happened to me this past Sunday that I think would be fun. It'll see, it'll show you basically how the donuts get made. So on Sunday night, one of the people I really wanted to talk to was Matt Nagy, the rookie head coach of the Chicago bears. They have been really under fire on offense because Mitchell Trubisky has not been playing well. Uh, Matt Nagy has done a very good job where he's been in Kansas city Um, you know, working with the quarterbacks and doing some imaginative stuff. But it just had not clicked yet with Trubisky, the second-year quarterback from North Carolina. Tremendous pressure on Trubisky. So I wanted to talk to him about Trubisky, which we did. I wrote a bunch in my Monday morning column, Football Morning in America at NBCSports.com. But at the end, I wanted something else. I wanted to find out from him, What has been the effect so far of having Khalil Mack on your team? I said, basically, you traded for him almost a month ago this weekend. And what he's done in that month, almost without practicing, without doing much of anything until he walked in the door, he just started playing football for you. So I asked him what exactly he had done to... Ingratiate himself with the team to work well with the team, and I want to play you this answer from Matt Nagy. Now, keep in mind, it's not the greatest sound because it comes over a phone line, and it isn't as great sound quality as we even get here on our, um, you know, on our podcast. But I wanted you to hear it because I thought it was really interesting, and it's an interesting way, in my opinion, that I'm able to do my job. I think better. Sitting somewhere where I can gather a lot of information rather than being out at a game. But here's Matt Nagy on Khalil Mack.
2: Well, he's a, he's just an absolute freak, number one. I mean, he's just different. There's not they don't make him like. They, there's not too many of them that they make like him. And so, you know, so when you have that, regardless of who you go to and how you do it, you, you can you're able to to do some exceptional things. And he's done that since the very first practice he's done here. Um, but the coolest thing that I've seen with him is that, you know, he's he's 100% effort, 100% of the time, literally. I You know, I've really never seen anybody, I've never seen anything like it when it comes to practice with this guy. I mean, he is just on the go. He's always chasing the ball down. And, and what he does is, he, he doesn't say a lot, but what he does is he just literally, before every defensive period, now we used to never do this, but now it's the first guy runs out to the ball when when our equipment manager sets the ball down. They all sprint out to the ball, and it's the first one to touch the ball. You know, and that's just like a it's a, it almost seems like food
1: leaders, You go know, out there and play like a game of tag or or, or something. But are you saying are you saying this is because he started that?
2: He started it. We never did that up until until he got here, and so now. Like, it, so when the horn blows and we just got done with an offensive period, we might riverside it or
3: flip the field and go the other way, and the equipment manager will put the ball down, and he'll say, all right, defense is up, you know, team defense, red zone, and he'll, he'll hit the horn, and the defense
2: will come running from the sideline. Before, it used to be just like a, uh, you know, like a three-quarter half-speed jog out onto the field, and then we'd go ahead and go, go with our, our reps. Well, now got you got all the guys and they sprint out to the field and it's like it's like the first one to touch the pigskin they set the ball on the ground and they run out there and it's the first guy to touch the ball wins and it's every period every day and so it's just pretty neat that you know this is just a minor thing that goes so far that he's just elevated he's brought another element to this defense and, and we were already a good defense and then for him to to come in here and from day one just do this just practice the way he practices and and sit in meetings and take notes the way he takes notes and, and I mean he helps out our backup tackle who's on the look team when he goes against them every play, if he sees this kid set the wrong way or, or make the you know, do something with his technique as a tackle, he'll tell him, Hey, you might want to think about this as I like, go ahead with this move, you know, this might help you. I mean that's unbelievable, you know. And so it's just, um, and it's not just every other day, it's every day that this goes on. And so I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen one person elevate everybody else around him as much as this guy does. And then on top of all that, he's even a better person. So it's just, it's, just, uh, it's, it's truly unbelievable.
1: Wasn't that interesting? I found it really interesting to talk about the impact that Khalil Mack has had on his team. And the reason, I wanted to give you a little bit of knowledge about not only how I do my job, but but something that I found really interesting that hadn't made its way into my column. And I kept wondering, I'd really like to get this out because I, I just think it's so interesting about Khalil Mack's impact early on with the Chicago Bears. So now you know. Now you know a little bit more about Khalil Mack and what he's done. And now you know a little bit more about how I do my job on Sunday nights. And hopefully that was kind of fun for you. Anyway, let's get to our first conversation. Had the chance to speak with Jared Goff, the MVP candidate of the Los Angeles Rams, talking about the first four weeks of his NFL season. Back on the Peter King Podcast. Happy to be joined by Los Angeles Rams quarterback Jared Goff, who has catapulted himself into the discussion for most valuable player, which if the season was one month long, wouldn't that be great? But the season, unfortunately, (laughs) is four months long. So, Jared, you're just going to have to keep doing what you're doing.
4: Yeah, you know, I guess so. It's it's got a few more games to go this season. a lot of work to do. Um.
1: Well, thanks a lot for for joining me this week, and I I, I guess I'd like to go back and do a little bit of history first because I think one of the things that is most interesting about you is that when you first came into the league and you played your first year, obviously, under the previous regime of, of Jeff Fisher, and I think at the end of that first year, you had a 72.7, I think, quarterback rating, something like that. Um, but, but so y- y- you, had a, you had a lot of people wondering about whether you were really going to be good. When you're the first player picked in a draft, there's a lot of pressure on you. So around the time that there was this coaching change, I just want to know, were you questioning yourself even remotely about whether pro football might be a little bit harder than you bargained for
4: no i don't think so i don't think i was ever a thought i think i only played seven games that year and it was towards the end of the year we lost our head coach about three games into those those seven games so you know had had a handful of games that were were somewhat meaningless and um you know had a lot of work to do but i understood there was a lot of things i didn't do very well and a lot of things that our whole team didn't do very well but no never lost confidence and Um, that was really, I mean, to be honest, that was two years ago and and I've grown a lot in two years and and done a lot of good things in two years and then learned a lot about myself in two years. And, um, you know, I I seem, I seem to have to always, uh, talk about this narrative of 2016 when we're in 2018, but you know, I'll continue to do it uh, for the, for the story.
1: Um, so I, I think one of the things that's been interesting about this season is just to watch, uh, how much fun you guys look like when you're having when you're playing football. So I want to go back. Yeah, and, it's,
4: it's been fun.
1: Yeah, I, I want to. I want to just ask you about your your first couple of meetings or your first memory of coming across Sean McVay. Tell me where it was, what happened, what did you think, and when you walked out of there, what were you thinking?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I remember meeting him. Uh, prior to them hiring him briefly. Uh, you know, just get, you got a chance to say hi to him and then sit down for, I think, maybe 15, 15 minutes to 30 minutes and just chat, and he was great. Um, you know, in the, those first impressions, you get a good feeling about his energy and, and what he knows and how smart he is, and, and that's just only continued to grow as time has gone on and, and me further understanding him and who he is as a coach and as a person and um, how great he is for our organization.
1: He's kind of very excitable. Isn't he? And he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, you know, a teenager or something. He, when you, when you meet with him, it's kind of hard to get a word in edgewise. What'd you think of his personality (laughs) and how, and, and whether you guys would be able to mesh pretty well?
4: Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right on. I mean, he does, he does, um, love to coach. I don't think he, you know, he actually would say he likes to talk a lot, but he likes to coach a lot. He likes to, he likes to communicate and is really good at it. You know, he's, he's tremendous at it. And, you know we've meshed really, really well up to this point, and, and, and done a good job, of, you know, through a season and four games now. And, but you know, there's a, there's a lot of work to do, and, and stuff's going well right now. We really haven't to faced too much adversity together, and uh, you know we'll learn a lot about each other when that happens.
1: Jared, can I ask you what you think in terms of either mechanics, how you throw the ball, footwork, something? When you think of what you have learned under Sean McVay. Um, mm-hmm. And and what he might have taught you that really sticks with you right now, and you think really has helped you as a quarterback? Can you give me a good sort yeah. of inside football example?
4: Sure. I think the number one thing that you know he, he taught me from from year one to year two, and now continuing into year three, is is understanding the intent of every play, and understanding what we're trying to get done with every play, and, and understanding the defense that we're facing and what their rules are, and. And knowing how to manipulate how to m- manipulate them and, and their rules, and, and really that's where I feel like I've grown the most through him and, is and through his teachings. Just understanding all of that, and, and not just lining up and, and hearing the play call and lining up and knowing you have four available routes, and, and just trying to figure out who's open. But really, you know, understanding what are we trying to get done with each play, and and what what are we trying to you know move move the defense into.
1: I think the other thing that has been interesting to watch about you. Is And and look, you obviously have some very good weapons, but your accuracy, especially in the last three games, has been simply remarkable. It's got to be up around 80%. But in watching the Thursday night game against Minnesota, the one thing I saw is you really are not afraid to make the tight window throws you know your throw to Cooper cup in the in the back corner of the end zone you know on the run your throw to Brandon Cooks at the goal line uh and so I I want to ask you is that something that you feel has been developed over the last couple of years or do you feel like going back to Cal? that you were always comfortable with making those throws that some people might say, oh boy, I don't know. You better stay away from that one.
4: Huh. You know, I've always, I've always been comfortable with, it. I think I've always had pretty good accuracy and I, and I think it's something I've really focused on the last few years is how tight these windows are transitioning from college to NFL and, and how much harder the throws are and how much more anticipation you need. And that's definitely something I've focused on and, and understanding that, you know, if there's a, if there's a, the defender on the receiver you can put the ball out in front of them and throw them open and different things like that that have continued to grow and continue to learn and um, you know feel good with it i think in that game on Thursday you know there's some times where you're where you're kind of in the zone and, and, and feeling feeling every throw you're throwing and take a little bit more chances than you usually do and, and that was definitely the case
1: i i want to ask you specifically about the throw to brandon cooks when i watch mm-hmm. that when i watch that throw <clears throat> Brandon cooks was tightly covered on that play. It was single coverage, but he was tightly covered on that play. And I think, if, as I looked at that play, if you threw the ball 57 yards in the air, it was going to be too far. If you threw it 55 yards in the air, it was going to be knocked away. That ball had to be 56 yards in the air, and it had to be right on target. Take me into your head a little bit, that why you made the decision on that play. And and for those who can envision this throw, you know, if you can go back and just look at this throw, you'll be able to find it on YouTube or anywhere, NFL.com. But the throw I thought was so remarkable because it it couldn't have been 10 inches any other way because Cooks just (laughs) wouldn't have caught it. So take me into your head as to why you decided to make that throw. Sure, I'll
4: I'll give you the whole story here. So the previous play, Xavier Rhodes got a personal foul. um, and We got a 15-yard penalty, so they took him out of the game. Uh, The very next play, we understood that they were probably going to lend presence to that side, having a different corner in. So ran Brandon on a deeper route um, away from that and got the look we wanted. Um, Brandon ran a great route ran past his defender and um you know i threw the ball to a place where i thought he could run away from the defender i didn't want to put too much air under it to where um the corner could could you know regain speed and and be able to make a play but i wanted to throw it out in front of brandon and let him run away from the defender and so i thought i had to throw it a little bit lower than usual and um a little bit more inside than we normally would but brandon made a great catch and that's i think just me trusting brandon and the trust that we've built and you know that's something that we've worked on, you know, all the way from the spring going until now and, and continue to work on. It's just me trusting him and, and him trusting me. And um we feel like we're in a good place right now with that and, and that's a product of, you know, all the work we put in.
1: You know, I'm I'm with Jared Goff, the quarterback of the Rams. Jared, I, I wonder you uh there's a lot of quarterbacks when you watch them after a play like that you know, and I'm thinking back to sort of the Brett Favre reaction, the what the reaction of a Baker Mayfield would be. Um, you know, they'd be jumping around like a Tasmanian devil. Mm-hmm. You pretty much are kind of all business. Your coach isn't after you make a throw like that, but you're pretty much all business. And I wonder, have you have you always been sort of this even keel guy, and where do you think it comes from?
4: Yeah, no, I think I've always kind of been that way, and um, just ever since growing up, always kind of not either good or bad. I think you have to react the same way because you know I've had games where it's gone the opposite way, and you're playing poorly. And and, you know, I hope to always react that way, whether it's good or bad. And you know, obviously, I was very excited about it and was happy about it, and you know, was inside jumping up and down. But um, you know, I don't think it's I don't think it's right at our position to to really get overexcited about little things like that. You know, it's a throw I've made before, and. So I hope to make again and Brandon made a great play and it wasn't it wasn't anything that we didn't expect to do I don't think I think it was just just a good play by both of us and you know it's something that I've done like I said I've done before but where, where I get it from I don't know I think just growing up and playing the position for so long I've never been one to get over excited or over you know down about anything good or bad.
1: Jared you for those who don't know Your dad was a Major League Baseball player, and he played from 1990 to 96 in the big leagues, played for the Expos, Pirates, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, finished his career with the Astros. Um, And I wonder, your dad, what sort of things do you think you've learned from him about, uh, about sports, about competing, about uh about a mental approach to the game.
4: Yeah, well, I think going back to your previous question, he's definitely part of that as well. Where, you know, he's he's played at the highest level in, in his sport and done all the good things that you know I always hope to do. And um just learning from him I think the the number one thing I always took away is is he always just reminded me to have fun. Like no matter what I was doing, no matter what sport I was playing, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Go out there, have fun. It's not the end of the world. It's just a game. It's just a sport. It's, it's supposed to be fun, and um, I've really carried that all the way through from you know little league till now, and um, just continue to go out there and try to remind myself to have fun and 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 just really enjoy the moment, enjoy every game, enjoy every day at practice, and understand one day you won't be able to do it again, and um, you know you'll look back and have have good memories. Hopefully,
1: you know I I always think that somebody who has had a dad or and I and I'm. Patrick Mahomes, I've actually spoken to his dad um, who was also a former major league player. And one of the things he told me is he said, you know, I think I learned from being around my dad, you know basically how to approach being a professional and yep. and and not just hey, it's cool that he plays that he played in the big leagues of another sport, but also how to approach the game. And when I see your approach, I think there's a guy who's had some pretty good training in it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that I agree with that. And I know Patrick's dad's played as well. And it's just, it's just something like, you know, they've done it and they understand it and they understand it's not, you know, you know, I guess maybe some dads that maybe haven't played professional sports, which is, I would imagine most dads, um, you know, they don't understand that it's really, it's really just a sport, it's just a game, it's just a job like any other job. And, don't treat it like more than that. And that's kind of what I've always taken away from my dad and and the professionalism part as well. You know, at at a young age, kind of let me know that, you know, as as a quarterback of the team, you know, eyes are kind of always on you and uh, you have to handle that appropriately and um, understand that there's a lot of responsibility to it.
1: Did your father ever tell you about his first home run in the big leagues?
4: I'm sure. I'm sure. It reminded me.
1: (laughs) Here's what it was. 1990, Expos Cubs. Wrigley Field. Top nine. Yeah. He comes in as a pinch hitter. Top of the ninth inning in a 5-5 game. And he jacks one. He jacks one out at Wrigley Field. Did they win? They won the game 6-5. He won it. Funny story
4: about that. My mom didn't go to that game because she was out shopping.
1: No. No. Yeah,
5: he
4: missed that one because he wasn't supposed to play. And then he had a pinch hit home run game (laughs) one.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. And your father never forgave your mother. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, no, he never has.
1: Um, finishing up with uh, Jared Goff of the Rams, Jared. I, I mean, this is sort of a weird, almost fanish question, but I wonder what it's like for a quarterback when he goes to work every day, and he looks behind him on the practice field, and there's Todd Gurley, and then mm-hmm. he looks, he looks outside um, when he looks at his receiver group, and he sees Brandon Cooks and he sees Sammy Watkins and he sees Cooper Cup and we can name all the rest but Robert Woods Robert Woods and and I wonder when you see that you probably think to yourself I'm in a great place in time that a lot of quarterbacks wish they could be in
4: no doubt I think you know every day you kind of are appreciative of that and and I understand I've seen both sides of it I understand what's good and I understand what's bad and you know, right now I'm very fortunate to have those type of guys around me and um, including the including the line, which I don't think it's talked about enough, is the entire line has done such a great job this year with not only the run game and the pass game and everything, communication and, and, and they're playing at such a high level right now and, and they, they're the ones that are able to give me time to get the ball to Robert and Brandon and Cooper and then give Todd the holes to run through and when where Todd scores three touchdowns in a game and, and you know, he gets, he gets the praise and I get the praise for the, you know, touchdowns I had last game, but it's really, it's really those guys up front who are doing that and that's really you know, what I look around at, like you're getting at, and I know how fortunate I am and how lucky I am to be in this position and try to take advantage of it every day.
1: Last thing, I wonder, <clears throat> when you look at maybe what you have learned most the two or three things maybe you feel that you've learned most that have improved you as a quarterback since the day you were drafted. What would you say are the things that that when now you look back, even though it's just been you know a little over two years, what do you think has helped make you better?
4: Number one, I think is understanding protections more, understanding what we're doing up front to you know try to master that and understand it fully. Understand where, where your problems are, where you're not, where you're weak at, where you're strong at up front in the protection stuff. So I think that's more, most importantly, number one, what I've learned. Number two, like I alluded to earlier, is, is understanding defenses and understanding where they're vulnerable, where they're strong, similar to the protection, where where, where they're weak, where they're strong, and understanding how to manipulate them, where their eyes are going to be, what their rules are, what their you know landmarks are, and, and, and really understanding how to use that to your advantage and, and how to use that to... Get guys open, and, and ultimately, how to use that to anticipate throws and, how to, and to anticipate windows.
1: And would you say all of this is in the package that you've gotten from McVeigh, or is this sort of more of an overarching thing that you're talking about?
4: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a little bit both. He's obviously done a tremendous job with me, and and has been incredible, and you know, I'm so thankful for him. But I think it's it's something that I've definitely matured into, and, and grown into, and, and learned about. and as time has gone on, you have know, been able to add more stuff to my plate and, and just continue to learn and grow.
1: Jared Goff, quarterback of the 4-0 and Los Angeles Rams. Uh, it's really going to be great to watch you the rest of this year and for your career. And I really, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast.
4: All right, no problem, Peter. I appreciate it.
1: You know you've done it found a photo of yourself five years ago or at college and thought, I look so young. You know, I've never done that because I still, at 61, am vintage Peter King. I've never looked better in my life, but I digress. So you look at that photo and you say, where did that guy go? How did I get all these wrinkles? Now, I don't say that, but that guy does. Anyway, some things get better with age. Wine, for example. Or maybe a nice single malt scotch. Unfortunately, not the case when it comes to your skin, and especially your face. Most guys don't do nearly enough for their skin despite all it does for them. Soap and water are just not enough to prevent aging. But there is something you can do in the fight against aging, and it's staring you in the face. Forhims.com F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. That's a one-stop shop for skincare, hair loss, sexual wellness for men. Hims connects you with doctors online who will evaluate your skin needs, and they can also prescribe you a custom anti-aging treatment. All you need to do is take a couple pictures and answer a few questions. No more awkward in-person doctor visits, and the products are shipped directly to your door. It's your skin. Do you want to be a face in the crowd or the face in the crowd? Order now and save $20 off your first month of Hims anti-aging kit. Lock in those looks now and get your first month of anti-aging for $20 off. Go to forhims.com kingsc. That's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash k-i-n-g-s-c for hims.com slash king s-c.
0: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.
1: Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...
5: If you went on a
0: road
1: trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac, or drop a crispy fry between the car seats, or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a
2: really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: At participating McDonald's. And now my conversation with Denver tight end Jake Butt. Back on the Peter King podcast. Really happy to be joined by the tight end for the Denver Broncos, Jake Butt. Um, and you may know Jake's story, but it's one of the most um, difficult yet uh, almost compelling stories of of this NFL season. For those who don't know it, uh, it, when Jake Butt was a senior at Michigan in the Orange Bowl game his senior year, the last football game of his college career, December thirty. 2016 he suffered a torn acl in his last game which affected his draft stock pushed him way down the draft board and he was drafted by the denver broncos but spent the 2017 season uh basically rehabbing this knee and didn't play came into this year won the starting job um started a game against the seattle seahawks in september and was on his way to pretty big things. And then in a walkthrough practice uh, at the end of September, uh, he tore his other ACL. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on is not to say, hey, man, woe is you. And, man, this must really uh, be lousy. And I could think of some other words to use. But uh, the attitude... That that Jake Bud has had since this has happened uh, just kind of blew me away. So we're going to talk about that uh, in this conversation. And Jake, thanks a lot for joining me.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you joining or uh, bringing me on here. And I'm glad we're not doing the "woe is me" thing. Uh, trying not to surround myself with anybody that's that's feeling sorry for me or feeling sorry for themselves right now. It's not healthy for anything. So uh, I'm excited to share my story a little bit here with you.
1: So. um I want to just do one quick history lesson, okay? When you tore tore your ACL at the end of your college career, if I'm not mistaken, that was the second time you tore that particular ACL. It was your right one, right?
3: Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep, I had previously torn in my sophomore year, so right after my freshman season at Michigan.
1: Okay. And so uh, when that happened that day, uh, in South Florida, uh, w- w- what was your feeling when they told you that you had torn your ACL? You had to know that that was going to seriously affect your draft stock.
3: Oh man, it freaking sucked. Uh, <laughs> Made yeah, like, uh, it. Let's not sugarcoat this thing. You know, <laughs> uh, it sucks. This stuff, every time sucks. But uh, I, I can kind of just remember laying down on the field after it happened. And I mean, I knew it right away. Just I, every time I've done it, even my first time when I didn't know what it felt like, I, I knew it. You know, it's funny how your body works like that. But first, I'm laying down on the field, just like, oh, you got to be kidding me, because it was it was the same year that a lot of people were sitting out of the bull game. A lot of uh, a lot of people were asking me whether or not I was going to sit out. I Never crossed my mind to sit out. I was playing all the way, you know. Um, but I kind of get back to the locker room, and my mind was racing. Man, I was just like, could not form a clear thought after it and um about kind of felt sorry for myself about 20 minutes and then I realized how like unproductive that was and how it was only making things worse my mom was crying my brothers were crying I kind of just looked at him I said all right you know we're done with this we're not crying anymore I asked for a piece of paper um somebody gave me a piece of paper and a pen and I started trying to form a plan you know I think I always felt like if you you know put a put a pen to paper and start forming a plan. It can kind of ease your mind a little bit. So I started figuring out, you know, where, where, where are my options for surgery? Where are my options for rehab? You know, when are we doing the MRI? What, what, how's this going to affect? I want to make sure that I had some insurance taken out. I wanted to make sure that that was that was still going to go through. My dad figured out that it was, which, you know, helped, helped a little bit of it, knowing that I'd be covered a little bit. And kind of once I started forming the plan, it was, it was full speed ahead. I was just, kind of relieved that I now knew what we were going to do and I now knew how to attack it. So why sit there and feel sorry about myself? It's not going to heal my ACL. The only thing that's going to heal it is work. So let's get to work.
1: When you were drafted in the fifth round by the Broncos, were you angry, relieved, happy? What was your emotion on day three of the draft in 2017?
3: I mean, it was bittersweet. Uh, I was finding comfort knowing I, we had a really good Michigan team that year, so I was kind of living through my teammates. I think we had two go in the first round. Then we had, like, a couple guys drafted on day two. And for me, I didn't know. I probably would have went day one, day two, had I not been hurt. I didn't know if I was going to go day two or day three. So the the part not knowing kind of pissed me off. And having to go to sleep at night uh, after day two, rounds two and three, not knowing where I'd be and kind of feeling a little disrespected, you know, it kind of pissed me off. But – um, once I found out I was going to Denver and I knew I was going to a world class organization and um with a great team a uh, historically great team, you know I was relieved knowing that I was going to be in good hands.
1: Can you sort of take me onto the field with you when you started your first n f l game in September, and what that felt to a kid from Ohio who grew up just loving football?
3: yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, is there butterflies? Was there a big moment? You know, what were you thinking? And to be pretty honest with you, it it never crossed my mind that I was, you know, like overcoming. I didn't really take too much time to reflect on it of how much I was overcoming and how big of a deal this was to come back from two ACLs and start, you know, in my first NFL game. Um, I kind of thought about it on the drive into the stadium it got me a little emotional, but I think more than anything, got me fired up to play. And then once the, 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 first snap, you know, I ran out on the field, it was just business as usual. I'm just on the field playing football. I'm not really thinking about anything else other than my job and, you know, trying to win the game.
1: Um, And I don't want to relive uh, this particular nightmare too much, but I just, I'm like probably a lot of people who like football and uh, you know i've never met you before i don't know you at all but when i saw that you were injured in a walkthrough uh you weren't even injured in a game you weren't even injured in a you know a practice or training camp where you might have got hit or whatever you get injured in a walkthrough i i just thought that's 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 cruel that's downright all right well i
3: got yeah, I got to clear some things up. Cause yeah. I don't know how – I mean, people were telling me that I tore my ACL before I even met the doctor, which is crazy. I don't know how this whole narrative got out that it was a walkthrough. It wasn't a walkthrough. Oh, it wasn't um, a walkthrough. We had, no, okay. no, no. I need to clear that up. I'm Good. Not that I'm glad you here, did. You know, come on. No, I'm not that soft. All right, I didn't step on a pebble and tear my ACL. <laughs> it's not like that. No. I was, I was running down. It was special teams. It was right after we warmed up. We had finished our walkthrough. It wasn't – you know, I'm not running a 40-yard dash, but I'm running at a good clip, probably 70%, 80%. Made a reactive cut. Kind of my, – my my cleat did, didn't really get stuck in the ground. It kind of slipped a little bit in the ground. And my knee when it slipped, my knee buckled. And I knew right away. I just laid on the ground and just kind of disbelief, Like, jeez, man. Like, I, I can't believe it. You know, I just really couldn't believe it. Um, and about like a minute or two passed, and they were doing the test, and I knew what it was. So I was just like, all right the train they're asked me if i could walk i was like yeah please just, like help me up let's let's get off the field man i kind of felt like i was being a distraction um to the team and taken away from practice i'm like let's get back to the locker room so he helps me up and you know i kind of just tried to play it cool for my teammates and my coaches and the people that cared about me so i just kind of i walked off the field you know i walked off and you know if you saw me walk off the field you might think i pulled a hamstring or something or sprained an ankle because I, I i wasn't walking like anything was seriously hurt and I kept my cool really well until I got into the the training room, and then kind of let it loose. Said some things I probably shouldn't say on this podcast. Punched a couple walls. Um, started, you know, trying to process what really had happened.
1: Um, and it, it didn't end there. You released a statement, and partial the partial, uh, in in part rather, the statement read. I'm hurt, upset, disappointed, and I'm also blessed. Since yeah. since the injury, I've been lifted up in prayer and love by so many family members, close friends and fans. And then you go on to say in this, I was asked if I plan to continue playing. Frankly, for me, there isn't another option. And to those who yeah. say he's finished, stop playing now, thank you. So... Mm-hmm. Where did this attitude come from?
3: Uh, I think it's just it's, it's how I've been my whole life. Um, I, I don't know that it's something that can be taught or learned. I think it's something that you got to be born with. Um, and it's just kind of how I've always been. I've really always been motivated by people doubting me. Um, I was a really skinny kid coming out of high school. I was a uh, good tight end, but I was skinny. So now I had some big-time offers. I'm a kid from Columbus, Ohio, and, uh, but Ohio State never offered me. I'm 15 minutes from their campus. And I remember that pissed me off and still does to this day a little bit, you know. And that, that was free motivation for me here, there. And that's, that's something I carry with me every single day. I mean, after my second ACL in the bowl game, people, people were counting me out then, you know, saying, oh, he'll, he'll never be able to do anything. You know, why, why even draft this guy? Why even take a flyer? You now I say, I save things like that. I make a uh, an imprint in my, in my memory, you know, like, I don't want to forget that because every time I'm feeling down on myself, like I just, I know how sweet it tastes to prove people wrong, you know, and I know deep down in my heart, how motivated I am as a, as a man, as a football player, um, how, how much I really, really love this game. Um, you know, I'm blessed because I get paid to do something that I truly, truly love to do. And there's no one out here that can stop me. What did John Elway say to you, man? He uh, he called me that night. Uh, he was in the he was in the training room after it happened, and honestly, I think he wanted to shake my hand or you know give me some words, but I just I couldn't even look him in his eyes, uh, just because I I just felt like I I let some people down, you know. I felt like I let the team down. Obviously, you know, it wasn't my fault, but can't. <laughs> I, I wasn't thinking of that at the time, but you know, I was really really making sure that I wanted to. You know, go and shake his hand and, you know, tell him that I saw him and I appreciate him coming in to check on me. Um, but he ended up calling me that night, actually. And uh, he just said, and th- this was the biggest thing for me, just John Elway and Joe Ellis, uh, Vance Joseph, uh, Matt Russell, all the, the whole coaching staff reached out to me and all really had the similar things that, listen, first off, they just love me. The character that I have, the, the man that I have, the man that I am, the the way I approach this game and the way I approach every day, they they love that, and that's something that whether you're hurt or not, that doesn't change. But but they love me as a football player too. They love my potential. They love what they saw me on the saw me do on the field so far this year, and that this injury doesn't change anything. Um, that they want me still around the building. They want me, you know, in the locker room, you know, being a positive influence on the team, and um, you know that just meant a lot to me, knowing that you know this was my third one, but. They still believe in me. They still stand behind me. They're going to stick behind me through this recovery and give me the chance to, you know, get healthy and go out here and contribute to this
1: team next year. Jake, you're 23 years old. You've now had three torn ACLs. The only person that sort of reminds me of you a little bit is that Thomas Davis of the Carolina Panthers, the linebacker, tore his ACL three times. And he went on since his third ACL tear. He's had five very good years in the NFL. So do you still believe that with medical science the way it is that you can get this fixed and that you can come back and have a significant career in the NFL?
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't I don't just believe it, I know it, you know. Like this this isn't something that ever it hasn't crossed my mind. I've never once doubted myself. Um, a lot of, a lot of people there's a lot of people out there that you know claim to be doctors or claim to be fortune tellers or claim to be you know know what's best for me. I know me. I know the surgery. How this is going to go. I've talked to the doctors. There's nothing that sa- that's saying this can't be a full recovery and won't be a full recovery. So I fully expect to be out there next year. And I actually, uh, me and Thomas Davis have the same agent. So he reached out to me last night. He's a hell of a dude. Um, I mean, what yeah, did he? he what did he say? What year. did he say to you? Uh, just that he he knows my story a little bit. he had been following me, you know, since it happened in college the second time um, And I, I've talked to Greg Olson a couple times on the phone. So he, He's kind of known me through Greg, too and that basically kind of you know, what what we've been talking about here is that there's gonna be people that doubt you but um, That doesn't matter. You know, it's 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 how you approach this surgery. It's how you approach this rehab um, and, and, and for him, I think he just kind of approaches rehab and has carried that with him every single day for these past five years. You know, he, he still rehabs every week as if he is coming back from it. And he said, that's one of the biggest things that he thinks has allowed him to stay healthy. And, um, you know, I listened to some of his workouts. I'm going to, you know, get back on the phone with him again, put him into writing. And, you know, that's going to be something I'm going to be doing the rest of my career too.
1: Jake, when will you have your, your surgery?
3: Uh, hasn't been scheduled yet. Um, we're still, you know, trying to get the swelling down. You want to get your your knee feeling almost normal um, before you do surgery. So we're looking at sometime next week or the following week. It,
1: this is a this is a bit of an odd question, but I I, I want to know what, if anything, you have learned about ACL surgeries that gives you such an incredibly optimistic view going into your third one? What have you learned from the first two? Uh,
3: I think what gives me such an optimistic view isn't necessarily, you know, what I've been able to do in in um, these previous recoveries. I got a, I got a buddy, Cody Casey. Uh, he played college football at Georgetown. He broke his leg. I think either his freshman or sophomore year, they put a rod in there that wasn't completely disinfected. Over the course of two years, he's on a wheelchair and crutches. And, you know, we're wondering, man, this is a broken leg. What's going on? Why, you know, why aren't you healing? Well, he had to make the decision two years after this, you know, his leg was broken that he had to amputate the lower half of his leg right below his knee. And, you know, this is a guy I've known since kindergarten. I've never heard him complain once. I remember we asked if he was going to sue the hospital or sue the doctor. He said, absolutely not. He's like, I'll be okay from this. I know the doctor didn't intend for this to happen to me, and I don't want to ruin his life. Um, Ends up going on to return kicks for his team that following year. He was returning the kick returner for that team with a prosthetic leg, Um, and I've never heard him complain once. And I just think that no matter what happens, I'm going to be all right. You know, I'll be all right. No matter what happens, I'll be able to, you know, continue my life. Life goes on. They're going to fix my knee. I'm going to be out there playing next fall, and uh, I'm going to have a full leg. My buddy's over here with half a leg, and uh, I've never heard him complain once, and he's living his life to the fullest. So I know if he's doing that, no matter what happens to me, I'll be all right.
1: I I want to just ask you this again in a slightly different way, but you got to tell me where this comes from. you got to tell me your home life, your parents, your grandparents, your somebody who you in your life you think has – really helped you get your mind right and get your head to where it is today?
3: I'm freaking blessed. Like when I tweeted it, I'm blessed. I just, I look around me of the people that I'm close with, of my family, my parents, both of them, both of them were just out there this whole entire weekend, cleaning my house, organizing it, making it ready for somebody that's going to be on crutches for a little bit. I mean, that's it at the, you know, just it wasn't a hesitation they were out here you know right out here to take care of me i got really good friends that i still keep in touch with from high school with that keep me accountable that keep my head up man i i ended up FaceTiming them that night after it happened and we stayed there was six of us we were on the facetime for 2 hours just just talking talking about life talking about you know positivity sharing bible verses with each other praying for each other um i got great teammates out here in denver i got great teammates and from Michigan, great coaches, um, lifelong friends, just I've surrounded myself and people have surrounded around me, just great, great people that, that have, that already have this mindset and that have been through different things that, that lead by example. And, uh, you know, when you're surrounded by so many great people, you, you kind of, you hold yourself accountable because you, that's the standard.
1: Jake, when your story is written fifteen years from now, when um uh, when you finally walk away from football for the last time, what's that story gonna say?
3: Man, it's gonna be a hell of a story. <laughs> uh, I, I just I just telling them today, man. I'm like, someone find me an author. All right, we've got to start getting this book written right now. <laughs> like let's let's get the let's get it let's get it going right now. But uh it, it's gonna be a hell of a story, man. It's gonna just be one of resilience, one of just never wavering faith, um, of hard work of just constant belief that I can do this. You know, I can become a great football player. I, I know I have so much more to give this game and, uh, I, I just love it so much. So, um, I just, I'm just excited, man. I, I, I was thinking about this this morning and part of the reason I love football so much is that it, it you, you wake up every single day and, football demands the very best out of you. You know, you could be a little tired. You could be a little sore. You know, there's days you wake up and you don't want to go to meetings or you don't want to be up at 5.30 to go lift. You know, you you just don't want to do it. But football says you don't have a choice. You know, and if you want to be a great great football player, you got to wake up every single day with that attitude to find a way to, to be great. And this is just another challenge, the same way football challenges me every single day. This is just another another challenge for me, and I love a good challenge, man, because it forces you to be at your very very best. And there's going to be days where, I mean, shit, crutching up and downstairs, you know, showering, taking care of my dog, doing things around the house—it's freaking hard right now. I'm on crutches, you know. I got one working leg. My freaking right quad is on fire right now from putting all my weight on it, you know. But it forces me. I can't complain. It's not going to help. It's not going to help me. I can't, you know whine or say "Whoa, is it me it's just going to force me to go do it man and i just think i'm sharpening my mind every single day and sharpening my, my my body every single day so no matter what i mean i've been thrown into the fire you know three times now with this acl and come out a better man every time so this third time i just think bigger things are ahead i think it's going to be a really special recovery and we're going to have a hell of a story to tell
1: what kind of dog do you have
3: got uh, a bernice mountain dog oh a
1: big dog He's-
3: big boy yeah he's taking a little nap right next to me right now he's, he's seven months but he's freaking huge so he's been helping me out a lot too
1: jake Butt, pickerington ohio uh university of michigan denver broncos with one heck of a story to tell jake Butt, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast
3: thanks peter thank you for having me
1: Can I tell you about my new favorite thing at home? It's my new Sonos Beam. Sonos Beam is the smart, compact soundbar for my TV and the newest addition to my home sound system. It plays everything I love. There's so much to enjoy. Sonos supports over 100 streaming services. I can even use AirPlay to enjoy music and my favorite shows from my iPhone or iPad. Not only does it have all the streaming I need, but wait until you listen. Its sound is brilliantly clear. Using my Beam fills my living room with such great sound. I can enjoy detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies. And I can't believe how easy it was to set up. No crazy wiring. Beam connects to my TV with one cord, and it syncs with my remote. And even better... The Sonos app made it so easy to set up. Now, I first found out about Sonos from my daughter who lives in San Francisco. We took a visit there recently, and we saw this Sonos operate so seamlessly throughout their house. Perfect sound quality in every room. You want to listen to NPR in the kitchen? Fine. You want to listen to music in the other room? That's fine. You want to watch TV in the other room? It's unbelievable how many different ways that you can enjoy Sonos Beam. And here's something I wasn't expecting. Amazon Alexa is built in. I get all the benefits of having Alexa, and I now even have hands-free control of my music. I can even use my voice to turn the TV on or off and adjust the volume. I mean, how great is that? So get your Sonos today. Don't wait. Don't you want to listen to music in one room and a podcast in another or send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second of the action? Create the ultimate entertainment center with your beam. Sonos Beam. Go online to get yours today. And now my conversation with Booger McFarland, Once a first-round draft pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but now at 40, along with Lisa Salters, a sideline reporter on ESPN's Monday Night Football. Back on the Peter King podcast. Happy to be joined by um, Booger McFarlane, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, former NFL uh, defensive tackle. Um, I believe he learned how to talk by listening to Warren Sapp for all those years. Um, But he's actually doing a very good job talking right now. As part of the ESPN Monday Night crew, you see him um, in his new perch uh, halfway up the field and and sort of having the best seat in the house every Monday night, um, and he's just back from Denver having seen the miracle of Pat Patrick Mahomes on Monday night. But, uh, Booger, thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate it.
5: Anytime, Peter, man. Big fan of yours. Followed you over the last several years with the MMQB and everything, man. Honored to be on here.
1: Thank you very much. So I just want to ask you, um, how close were you to the Patrick Mahomes left-handed pass? And you have to think that he's going down when Von Miller is chasing him from behind and he doesn't see him.
5: So I was on the opposite side of the field because uh, our setup is on the home side. And so he was headed toward the Kansas City bench. And as Von Miller's closing, I'm already preparing to talk about Von, the effort, the chase, how he's been relentless, even though Mitchell Schwartz has been giving him hell all night. And all of a sudden, you see this pass come out of nowhere, almost like a little shot put. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He did not just throw that left-handed. So myself <laughs> and Joe Terrence and, and Jay Witten, Jason Witten, we were all like, are you kidding me? He threw it left-handed. And it was just the most amazing thing that, that I'd ever seen. Not the fact that he threw it left-handed. The fact that in a moment in that game where you're trailing in the second half at mile high that you have the comfort level to throw that pass left-handed. And I, I've heard stories that he's done it at practice. And, you know, he's thrown no-look slant and things of that nature. But that's in practice. To do it in the game of that magnitude on the road, to me it just shows you how calm cool and just how how talented this kid is
1: i'm 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 not saying i'm amazed with him, but i the reason i'm so impressed with him is that there's no situation even remotely that's too big for him and and i think that's the same with a lot of these young quarterbacks. i mean, in the span of two or three weeks, Baker mayfield has made the Cleveland browns. Almost must see TV. I mean, you know, I mean, I, 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 every network has got to wish they had three Browns games the rest of the year because, I mean, the exactly. last, the last, the last game and a half, Baker Mayfield has made every possession almost like a uh, you know LeBron James possession or a Carlos Correa at, at bat or something like that. It's just it, he is he is just so much fun to watch, but. What did you think of him in this game Monday night, and what do you think makes Patrick Mahomes so good so young?
5: Well, uh, I came into the game, Peter, wanting to see uh, just what all the hoopla was about, and I I, I wanted to get an understanding not only of of his physical talent, but his mental makeup. I know his godfather, LaFarne Hawkins, and he told me, he said, you know, Everybody's going to be marveled at his, at his, at his physical skills. He can throw at 70 yards, and, you know, he's got athletic ability to move around. He said the the most impressive part of this kid is his mental makeup. No moment is too big. He's not in all of professional football. He's been around professional sports his entire life, and he understands what being a professional is all about. And so I just wanted to see it. And sure enough, here we are. It's 23-13. He's down 10 at mile high. The crowd is going crazy, and there was a moment in the game where our, our cameras caught Andy Reid doing something I've never seen Andy Reid do. Peter, Andy Reid went sat on the bench next to Patrick Mahomes. I,
1: and, I, yeah. I, thought that was an incredible scene because it's yes. it's Andy Reid talking. And I'm not. People don't misunderstand this. Talking is kind of an equal. To um, right. to him and and, and and Patrick Mahome's explaining something in depth and read listening, and I'm saying, this is a really, really cool exchange right here. Because it's something we've
5: never seen. like I, I've, I've known Andy for forever and I've never seen him do it. And it was almost as if Andy was saying, okay, we finally reached our first moment where things are a little out of whack. Things are in disarray. Let me go sit down. He's 22 years old. Let me talk to him and just hear from his point of view what's going on in his mind out there. And after he had that conversation with him, I want to say it took one more drive, maybe two, He starts getting the ball to Travis Kelsey. And then the kid just started playing backyard football. Because I asked Andy on, on, uh, on Sunday, I said, what makes you compare this guy to Brent Favre? And Andy said, you know what? He's the type of guy that if you give him a football and you, and you say go in the backyard and play – He'll just go play. He doesn't need to practice. He doesn't need to know what the plays are. You just give him 10 guys and he'll go play. He said Alex Smith was a quarterback where he wanted to go practice it over and over and over and over until he got it and then he wanted to go play. And that's the difference between a a, a Patrick Mahomes, a Brett Favre, and a guy like Alex Smith. They can all do it, but they some of, some of them can do it in a different manner. And I, I think you saw a little street ball from Patrick Mahomes with the left-handed throw, with some of the throws where he's throwing across his body last night and I was just amazed, not at the physical skills, but at at the mental makeup, being down 10, able to handle that situation, and being so calm, cool, and collected.
1: Booger, I want uh, to—this is 180 degrees from here, but I think probably a lot of people in the United States, they might have heard of you as a football player. And if they know college football, they know that in the last couple of years— You've made a bit of an impact talking about college football on TV, but I think no one really kind of saw this new, weird sort of exposition and, and, and really different kind of television coming. So I want you to tell me, were you a little surprised when you were first approached about doing Monday Night Football? And tell me the genesis of it and what exactly happened.
5: Man, Peter, I was shocked <laughs> because uh, over the last couple of years, some of my bosses have wanted me to call games, and I've always turned them down. And as recently as, um, you know, probably about 18 months ago, uh, I-, I turned down an opportunity to do a, a pretty nice game on- in a Saturday night package. And the reason I did it because I, I felt like that I-, I wouldn't get the fulfillment of talking about college football, just talking about two teams every week. The enjoyment for me was to be able to talk about a multitude of topics throughout the sport every Friday and Saturday or whenever I was on TV. And so I, I, I kind of like the studio ram. I, I kind of like being in there. And I, I'll never forget, it It was in March, uh, mid, to, mid to late March, I got a call. I was on the driving range at Avila Golf and Country Club, hitting some golf balls, just kind of killing time, trying to go pick my kids up from school. And it was someone them ESPN, and they called and said, hey, You know, your name was given to us by some of the higher-ups and they wanted to know, would you like to try out for Monday Night Football? And my first thought was like, yeah, I mean, okay, like I have a chance of getting this, but I'm like, okay, sure. It's one of those things where if they ask you, you go try out and, you know, you throw your name in. If it doesn't come to fruition, at least you show them that you, um, you know, you you can be excited and you can look forward to, to, to doing bigger and better things. And... About two weeks later, I went to Bristol, and Joe Tessitore was the guy that they chose to be the play-by-play guy months ago, and, you know, quick story, Joe was also the guy who did my initial audition at ESPN when I got hired for the SEC Network, So there was a comfort level with me and Joe. We were like family, and, you know, he told me, said, so, hey, I'll help you in any way I can, but just know that, you know, um, I'm not making this decision, but I'm going to put you in position to sound as good as I know you can sound. And so we go in there and we're calling the Chiefs Titans playoff game that ESPN had this past year. Yep. And it's literally only um, probably the, maybe the fourth or fifth time ever that I, that I ever been in a booth, you know, just talking football. Even though it was a practice game, it was only the fourth or fifth time that I ever been in there. And so we get in there, Peter, and the game comes on and man, it's just, it's rolling and it's just natural. I'm just, I'm not trying to be anybody but myself. I'm calling the game how I see it. And two hours later, Joe looks at me and kind of with that look. He's like, you know, that was good, right? And I was like, yeah, it was okay. He's like, no. He said, boy, that was pretty good. And, you know, I didn't know whether to take him serious or to take him as, you know, hey, this is my friend. He wanted me to feel good about it. And so I left Bristol that day thinking, that, okay, I put my best foot forward and I gave I gave it a shot and I showed them that, you know, I'm somebody that wants to continue to climb in this company. And I never thought I'd get another call. And a week later, I got another call. They said, hey, we like what we heard. We're thinking about doing a little something different. We want you to come back and audition with someone else. And, of course, my, first, my next question was, okay, well, who else? And he was like, Jason Witten. I was like, okay, I, I know exactly who that is. I, I didn't know him personally. Right. And so I had one conversation with Jason, Jason Witten. And we went back up on a Friday uh, I think it was, a, it was a Friday, Friday afternoon, and this time all the big bosses are there. Uh, Pataro's not there, but all the other big bosses are there, and they're in the next room. And so it's kind of one of those situations where you know everyone that's making decisions is literally within six inches of a wall next to you, and they're listening to you, <laughs> and they're trying to make a decision. Yeah. And so it, it was a little nerve-wracking uh, for myself. I think it was for Jason, but I'll just speak for myself. And, you know, two and a half hours later, man, we made some mistakes. We, it, it wasn't perfect. But you had two guys that were um, that were fun, offense, defense. We talked ball. We kind of, you know, busted each other's chops a little bit. And, and Joe made it very relaxing and very easy. And about seven to ten days later, I was actually landing coming back from the draft because I worked the draft for ESPN. And it was kind of weird because I'm checking social media as I'm in flight and I see Chris Mortensen break the story. Jason Witten has accepted Monday Night Football's leading analyst position. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I didn't get that. And so as I land, I get a call from one of the execs, and I was like, hey, don't pay attention to the rumors that are out there. You're going to get a call here shortly, and, you know, we'll talk. And so I got a call, and we had a conversation, and my initial thought was, okay, we want you to be the field analyst. What does that mean? Because in my mind, uh, I'm used to the field analyst being a guy that you talk to you know, once a quarter, twice a quarter, let's see what's going on in the field. And that's not something I want to do because I had a bigger voice in college football than just being a a, a, a glorified sideline guy. And I, if, if, if I had my brothers, I'd just stay in college football. But once the position was explained to me and I got a level of comfort that this was going to be an actual three-man booth where my voice could be heard Eh, you, yeah, we want to do something different. We want to create this, this booger mobile, this perch, and we're going to give you all these these bells and whistles. I'm fine with that. My main thing was, am I going to be able to control my own microphone? Is my voice going to be heard? And can I talk football? I don't care where you put me. You can put me on top of the roof. I could care less because as long as my voice can be heard, I feel confident in my ability to talk football. And so once i got a comfort level of that, um, you know, the creative people came up with the mobile and came up with all the bells and whistles and things. What like did you could. think about that?
1: What did you think about that idea to sort of be on the field, but above the field like that to get that view? It's got to be the best view that any football announcer has.
5: It, it, it's the best view that I've ever had. Uh, I was initially skeptical, Peter, because I'm afraid of heights. And I try to tell everybody that people people are like, man. Man, it's got to be fun up there. I was like, yeah, as long as I don't look down, it's great.
1: And, are you, you know, still it's, afraid it's of heights?
5: Peter, that, I mean, I'm 40 years old. I'm still afraid. I've been afraid of heights since I was 10. That's not going to change.
1: But how high How high above the ground are you? It's 10 feet high. Trust me. I've had it measured. Okay, so, I mean, even if you fall, you're not going to die. Well, I'm not going to die, but okay, you could break something. I'll tell you
5: what, <laughs> next time I see you, why don't you come up there and let me push you down and see how you feel. <laughs> <through the> ground? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me see how you feel when you hit the ground. But, you know, once the, once the game gets going and the game gets, gets, gets in a flow, you forget about the height until we start moving and you hit a bump. Uh, but as long as the game is in rhythm and we're moving, I really don't think about the height. But I am still afraid of just sitting up there 10 feet in the air and this thing kind of moves sometimes. That's the reason why we had to add a seatbelt. I do have a seatbelt on there. But a lot of people don't know that, wow. but there is a seatbelt. And I'm trying to get them to add a second one, but they're like, yeah, they just probably don't need that.
1: Who taught you how to do television? Anybody?
5: Um, two people that have been very influential in um, my career um, in, in television. Uh, one is uh, Mike Greenberg. Mike Greenberg yeah. was, the first, was the first one at ESPN who said, man, you can be good at this. He said, y- You just got to know what you want to do. And you have no idea what that did to a country boy from Louisiana who was told at 13 years old that he was shy. I had a little afro. I was a fat kid. And I never was the, I was a really good football player, but I wasn't a Hall of Famer. But to come in a new uh, form and for one of the guys who, who's made a name, like the Hall of Famer in, in the industry, Mike Greenberg, to give that confidence. Uh, to me, to put me on his show, to want to co-host with me, and just to just to breathe life in me, it was it was unreal. He's number one. Number two for me was Dari Noka, because when I first got hired at the SEC Network, Dari Noka was the guy that I worked most with, and just the comfort level that he made for me, and not only myself, but Greg McElroy, just allowed us to be so comfortable. And yeah, we there weren't a lot of people watching the SEC Network when it launched, I get it, but just he, 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 he taught me how, hey, you see that red light over there? Just imagine that red light is a third person, and your job is to have a conversation with me and the mm-hmm. red light, and you got to make us all feel like we're involved. And he said, once you're comfortable doing that, then just be yourself. And so those two people really kind of helped, helped make me more comfortable and feel at ease talking on TV and just being myself. And, and once, I, once I became at ease, and then my personality just came out, and I just kind of I kind of said how I feel, and, and some people like it, some people don't, but uh, Mike Greenberg and Dari Noka have probably been the two most influential people.
1: Booger McFarland, you sound great on TV so far. Uh, I think it's really a cool experiment. I think it was smart of ESPN to try something different. It would have been easy to put you in the booth. I'm sure you would have been good in the booth, but being down there talking almost like – a half player, half analyst, to some degree, I think is a cool idea, and I, I, I didn't know what I would think of this when I saw it a month ago, but I think it's a good idea. So whoever thought of it, tell him good idea for me.
5: <laughs> I would definitely do that, and, and I think you got to look at people like Jimmy Pitaro, our president, uh, Connor Shell, Stephanie Drulli. Like like those are the people that are not afraid to to push the envelope. Those are the people that are not afraid to to do something different. It could have been easy to hire, you know, some guys like a Kurt Warner or a Brett Favre like some of the bigger names. It could have been a lot easier. You know, I, I realized that when you think about NFL players, I was a college football guy. And so for them to, to look and say, you know what, we're not going to worry about your stature in the game. We're not going to worry about your standing. We're going to put something together that's new, that's fresh, that's creative, and we're going to try to push the envelope rather than just having a normal dynamic between play-by-play and, and, and analysts. And, and I think you got to give them all the credit. And we've tried to follow that lead, myself, Joe, and Jason, and Lisa also.
1: Booker McFarland, good luck the rest of the way. Uh, and thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast this week.
5: Peter, anytime, man. I've followed you a long time, man. You were, you were always good to me when I was doing local radio. I'll never forget that. And <laughs> it, it's people, it's, it's people like you, man. That, that, that give people that are coming up in the industry give them hope give them confidence and I just want to thank you for that years ago you probably don't even remember it you came on my local radio I do remember it ago. I def- I remember yeah. it
1: yeah yeah
5: yeah. and, 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 and so just, just want to thank you for that man because that meant a lot and so it's an honor to be on here with you buddy
1: hey thanks a lot good luck Booger thanks Peter take care thanks to my guests on this jam-packed show Jared Goff Jake Button and Booger McFarland. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in my podcast series, such as my conversations with Joe Buck, Adam Schefter, and Luke Kuechly. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King podcast. On Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the fine folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Hymns and Sonos. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week.
0: If a friend asks how you're doing,